You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Most of the Christians she had met in her life had made her feel badly about herself, that had made her feel judged and not good enough. I thought about what she said and I couldn't help but feel like Jesus has been so poorly represented by many of his followers. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect Jesus follower, I'm not. But if we, those who follow the teachings of Jesus, represented him authentically, the word Christian or Christ followers possibly would elicit more of a positive response at times than a negative one. How did Jesus interact with the lost? Well, he was compassionate and gracious. He acknowledged them and spent time with them, which is something the religious elites of the time wouldn't do. He didn't just ignore the presence of sin in their lives, but instead of confronting it with condemnation, he offered forgiveness and hope. As Pastor Danny will point out in today's message, maybe if we were a clearer reflection of those characteristics of Jesus, we'd have a better impact on our fallen world. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple during the hour of prayer. That would have been three in the afternoon. They encounter a beggar. They knew who he was. Uh, Other people knew who he was. At least they recognized him because he's he's sat or brought there every day to the gate called Beautiful to beg. He saw Peter and John. He asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. And what he got from them was something money can't buy. He got a miracle. Uh, He was healed. Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, uh, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. Peter reaches down, takes him by the hand, goes to pull him up, and instantly uh, he was healed. He begins to leap and jump and praise God. He goes with Peter and John into the temple court area. Uh, Everybody sees what's happening, and so a crowd gathers. Peter takes the opportunity now to share the gospel with the crowd. 2,000 people would become believers as a result of Peter's message. But Peter's message also got he and John in a little bit of hot water with the Jewish leadership. While Peter's still speaking, they show up. They seize Peter and John because it's evening. They throw them in the local jail, deal with them the next day. Next day, when they bring them before, uh, bring Peter and John before them, they say the end of uh, verse seven, chapter four, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter then, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I need to show you these two words these leaders describe Peter and John uh, with, uh, and it's worth going back to just real quickly. Unschooled means illiterate, uneducated. Ordinary, it's the Greek word idiotis. We get our word idiot from it. They look at them as illiterate idiots, but they saw their courage. They were astonished, and they took note, these men have been with Jesus. The church grows in a very short time from 120 praying On the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls. God gives the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It alerts the crowd. The crowd comes. Peter stands up, gives the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. So 120 to 3,120 now, some 2,000 more. So it's over 5,000 now in very short order. All because God's giving opportunity for crowds to gather and he's setting that up and Peter and others are being bold and they're sharing the gospel. But it's not just the leadership. When you get to Acts 8, I mentioned it last week, after the martyrdom of Stephen, all except the apostles are scattered all over the place. And it says in verse four, those who had been scattered, these are just the church members. They preach the word. Wherever they went. Greatest potential for the growth of any local church is not in outreach events. Those have their place. And thank God that Christmas and Easter, as I mentioned, have become real outreach things for us. But the greatest potential is for each one of us to take seriously what's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, to every human being you have an opportunity to. Acts opens up, you'll be my witnesses, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The only message that can save somebody's soul is the message of the gospel. But three things are needed. Uh, one is courage, because the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It'll hold us back. It'll keep us from stepping out and from sharing the truth. We have to get over our fear. We have to be available. We have to have courage. And I ended last week, we have to have a warrior mentality. Jesus Christ is our commander in chief, and he is a warrior. And he's looking for people in his army. It's a, a volunteer army. It's not a draft. You have to enlist. You have to volunteer. And our goal is to share the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But some of us don't feel adequate to do that. And I understand that. I understand that. And we talked about that last week. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Availability. 
Sometimes the open door comes through a miracle. I wish the open door to share the gospel would always come through a miracle, but it doesn't. That's not reality. Sometimes it comes through physical illness. Galatians chapter four, Paul said to the Galatian churches, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Sometimes that's a result of persecution or painful circumstances. Acts 16, Paul and Silas uh, in the jail, uh, the inner part of the jail, they're in the stocks, they're beaten, uh, they are bruised, and at midnight they begin to sing hymns to God and they pray. God shakes the foundation of the prison. And through that painful circumstance, that was a result of them being persecuted for what they were doing, for their faith and their proclamation of Jesus. But a Philippian jailer and his whole family get saved in the middle of the night. This is biblical witnessing advice. Biblical witnessing advice. And the first is from our text. It's this. Never disobey an authority unless to obey that authority means you would be disobeying God. Never disobey an authority unless to obey means you would be disobeying God. Romans chapter 13, very clear. Verse one, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God what he has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So there is an exception to that. Acts 3 and 4 is an exception. Peter and John are asked, by what power, what name did you do this? And then when they tell them, they command them. And this is the Supreme Court of their day. You can no longer teach or proclaim the name of Jesus. And they say, judge for yourselves whether it is right for us to obey you or obey God. So the authorities that are established are established by God. Parental authority, pastoral authority, governmental authority. But the one who established all those authorities is over all those authorities. So if an authority says you can no longer proclaim Jesus Christ, then my challenge, our challenge, is to obey God rather than men. And depending on the power uh, of that authority, well, the consequences of disobeying that authority. Now, uh, we're to share whenever we have an opportunity, but if an authority that God has established says, uh, you can't do that here, you need to leave, then guess what? You need to leave. You need to leave. We'll talk more about that, at least that principle, in a little bit. Um, Daniel chapter 3 is a great Old Testament story to illustrate this particular point. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel has three friends, Ananiah, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Those are their Hebrew names. And Babylon gave them different names, so we know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar is ruling Babylon, and uh, he has developed uh, Daniel and his three friends, and they have now become leaders in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar builds this huge statue. And as he builds the statue, he then summons all his government officials. And the decree goes out or the word goes out that when you hear the band start to play, everybody is to bow down before this great image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
So the band starts, and it says in verse 7, uh, the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But the government officials, they know about one guy or three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they know, as a matter of fact, they're, they're planning uh, to get rid of these guys. They don't like them. As a matter of fact, they hate them. They're Jewish. So they go to uh, King Neb and they say, there are three guys that you put over the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they don't respect you. They, they don't obey you. They didn't bow. So, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the band play, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? These three guys respond, and it says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. But you have to understand, they're not all speaking at the same time. So one of them is representative for the other two. Here's what he says. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it, from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, and the other two at this point are going, what, what, what did you just say? <laughs> even if he does not? I thought you just said he's going to do it. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad at this point that he orders his soldiers, you make that furnace seven times hotter than normal. So they make the furnace seven times hotter than normal. And then he commands his strongest, biggest guys in his military, go get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They do. They tie them up, and they go to take them to throw them into the flaming furnace. The fire is so hot that when they approach the furnace, these guys that have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are burned alive. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then fall with the ropes around them into the blazing furnace. I don't care how many times you've heard this story. It's fresh every time. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Well, you're getting close, but you're not quite there. It's the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the government officials crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. I like that. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Don't miss the conclusion. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree 
that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Except for the being cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, I wish we had a law like that in our land. Because three men were courageous. Courageous. And had a warrior-like mentality. We know our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we want you to know we will not bow. And they did not bow. And God used it, not only to rescue them, but even more important than that, to be a witness that they never would have been had they not been willing to disobey an authority that in obeying that authority would mean they're disobeying God. Second word of advice, and this is a real switch here. Don't misrepresent Jesus Christ. Don't misrepresent him. I found this online. I don't know how I came across it. It's from a Christian young lady. I don't know her. She says, I was talking on the phone with a friend who I had recently added on Facebook. She had looked at my bio and something about my Facebook account struck her as odd. She said, I was surprised to see that you're a Christian. I nervously smiled on the other end of the line and asked her why. She said, well, I don't normally like Christians, but I like you. We talked a little more in depth about the issue and she let me know that most of the Christians she had met in her life had made her feel badly about herself, that it made her feel judged and not good enough. I thought about what she said and I couldn't help but feel like Jesus has been so poorly represented by many of his followers. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect Jesus follower. I'm not. But if we, those who follow the teachings of Jesus, represented him authentically, the word Christian or Christ followers possibly would elicit more of a positive response at times than a negative one. It was a song I used to sing, she says, in Sunday school when I was little called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. My hope is that this will be a true statement in the lives of all who follow the teachings of Jesus. The Bible says God is love. That means that Jesus, as a human being, was the greatest personification of love ever in human form. Think about how he dealt with people. Matthew, the tax collector, condemned, looked down upon by the religious elite of the day. They would not hang out with him. They would make him feel less than them. And he goes by the tax collector's booth and he says, Matthew, come, follow me. And he gets up and follows him. Matthew ends up being so uh, uh, amazed that, this, that he was accepted in that way that he throws a party for Jesus, invites all his friends. All his friends are, are like him or worse. And the religious elite condemn Matthew and Jesus and everybody at the party. The sinful woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee. He's hosting Jesus for a dinner party. In the middle of that dinner, woman breaks in. And people know, they know her reputation. We aren't told what she has done, but everybody knows she's a sinful woman. She begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair. Simon is thinking, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she is, and he would not allow her to do that. And Jesus takes the opportunity to try to teach Simon and his disciples as well. And then he turns to the woman. You know what he said to this sinful woman? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Samaritan woman at the well 
In that culture, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, and Jesus violates the cultural norm. He goes through Samaria, first of all. He sees the woman. He encounters her. The disciples are at McDonald's getting lunch. They come back, and they're surprised to find him not only talking to a woman, but talking to a Samaritan woman. And he starts the conversation this way. Would you give me a drink? That was a very kind thing to do and unheard of in that culture. Yes, he confronted her. Yes, he revealed for her 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 living situation. He says to her, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband, the one you're living with, because you've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband. But he didn't say it in a a self-righteous, condemning way. It was reality. That's your life. And she was so taken aback. And she goes into the place where she lives and she tells the whole town and they come out to hear this guy. She didn't go to hide. She didn't go saying, oh, he just, he just lit me up, man. He just exposed me. He, she was exposed. But boy, did she feel love. She felt love like she never felt because she's, she's talking to and listening to the epitome of love, the personification of love in human form. Zacchaeus. Everybody despised Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. A little short guy. I picture him as Danny DeVito. You know, I've always have. I just, I just can't get it out of my mind. Probably look like Danny DeVito. He can't see Jesus, so he climbs this tree. Jesus trees him. Comes up to the tree. Zacchaeus, you come down. I got to go to your house today. That was unheard of. Religious people are going, religious leaders are going, what? what? You're going. Listen. Jesus was the epitome of love. The only people that felt condemned are, that's not even the right word, the the people that felt the most uncomfortable around him were the religious hypocrites because he exposed their hypocrisy and they didn't like it. Everybody else loved to be around him. They, they, They were hordes of people all around him all the time. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to receive from him. He was full of grace of mercy. He was love, and he is love. Let me say another thing about this, and not misrepresenting Jesus. Jesus was not a legalist. He was not a legalist. What's a legalist? Well, legalists can come in different forms. A legalist can be somebody who, who's taking the law, and they're stressing and overemphasizing the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. What's the spirit of the law? Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on two commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. But sometimes legalists uh, don't even have a basis of truth about what they believe to be righteous and right. For example, I grew up believing that it was a sin to go fishing on Sunday. Thank God I found out that's not true. (laughs) I'd go today except for two reasons. One, it's too windy, and two, I'm going to Orlando with my wife. Praise the Lord. Years ago, our first place of meeting at Calvary Chapel uh, was a place called the Sons of Italy Lodge. It's no longer the Sons of Italy Lodge, but the building is still there. It's 54th Avenue on the other side of 66th Street. Across the street is a place that's still there, and if you're a part of this ministry called Camp Freedom, I'm not trying to offend you. It just is what it is. I don't know what they believe today, but years ago... I found out some of the things they believed because we had to use one of their rooms across the street at Camp Freedom for our children's ministry. 
And so I got to know the people that ran the place. They were nice, but I found out over a very short amount of time, they were very legalistic, very legalistic. And I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. They believe, they believe that if you wore blue jeans, you are going to hell. They believe that. We're so thankful to be able to share this time with you today on The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We've been learning some historical things from the Book of Acts, a New Testament book that records the early church and how the disciples spread the gospel of Jesus to the world. What an incredible move of the Holy Spirit that we get to not only read about, but experience today. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or other messages like it from Pastor Danny, visit our website at ccfstpete.church. Look under the Media tab and click on Sermons. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us in prayer here at The Living Word. Prayer is an incredibly powerful tool that you can use against the enemy, who doesn't play fair. Being in conversation with the Lord is an exercise that's extremely rewarding as you find yourself more and more in a relationship with God. As far as a specific prayer request, please pray that we'd always have it on the forefront of our minds to be teaching the Word and reaching the world. As you pray about this, we pray too that your heart is encouraged and growing in the Word through these teachings. Thanks for praying, and thanks for being a part of this ministry. Join us again next time to dive deeper into the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word.